And welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I am Darren Kaster, your host, of course, and I'm sitting right beside Stefan Hofstetter. How are you today? I'm pretty well today, actually. Excellent. Uh, Kevin uh, Farmer is also in the studio. He's got his hands full. We'll be hearing from him a little bit later, though. Uh, today, we have a, an abbreviated beginning section. I just want to uh, say a couple things about the show, and then we're actually going to go right into our interview, which is with Nikki Fotheringham, who's the uh, author and journalist behind Green Moxie, which is a uh, green living blog. Uh, we're going to be speaking to her in just a few minutes, and Stefan, you've been diligently working on the video version of that, of course, as mm-hmm. usual. So we we uh, we haven't had success. I think we've we've had a valiant effort at having a video copy of nearly all of our interviews recently, which uh, a little high five for us here. Yes, uh, most of them. I'd say eighty five percent over the last few months. So that's pretty strong. Yeah. I think that's pretty strong. So if you haven't seen any of them, uh, there is additional content beyond what we actually play on the radio available. Um, you just got to go to either our YouTube page or the website to find that. And the easiest way to find the YouTube page is just to go to the website. So if you're looking for additional materials, maybe some extended cuts or more information about any of our interviewers or interviewees, uh, you can go to greenmajority.ca. A uh, couple of other things. Uh, we mentioned quickly at the end of the show last week, but I'm, I'm sure by the end of the show, people are sort of lulled into a a, a semi-comatose state by my voice. Mm. Uh, so I'm going to start at the show by uh, reminding people that October the 24th, I believe it was confirmed, um, that 20th to 26th week at the end of October coming up very, very quickly is our fall membership drive for here at CIUT. The thing that actually makes the car go, or in this case, the radio station, and by gasoline, we need money. <laughs> <laughs> Liquid money right into your veins. Uh, so October 24th will be our fundraising show. We're uh, looking forward to that. If you are know that you're going to be willing, ready, willing, and able to go ahead and support the Green Majority here at CIUT, you can go ahead and make an advanced pledge at CIUT.FM. Uh, you can donate any amount that you like, but if you uh, be, want to become a member, which gives you a whole bunch of perks, it even gives you voting rights at CIUT and all sorts of other things, gets you inside information, uh, you can really feel connected with the station itself uh, in more than just a, a superficial way. You will actually be a part of the station itself, uh, which does come with perks. There's more than just a name to that as well. Um, if you are willing to go as, uh, to $25, which I think is very reasonable, that's a very low amount to support independent media because, Stefan, we've been talking a lot about uh, non-independent media, a.k.a. the corporate media, uh, a lot recently. Um, it's been a bit of a hobby horse for me. Um, so I, just before we go to our sort of uh, first break, before we um, we get into that, I just wanted to, to comment. We've been reading a lot of stories. The one I was just looking at now was, was something coming out rehashing um, some stuff that's been floating around about the uh, original Harper election and uh, robocalling and all these sorts of things. And, you know, the, it was funny, I was just thinking, because, you know, there's an article by a foreign, I actually didn't, I wasn't able to, to verify where the paper was from, but there's an article in a non-Canadian newspaper quoting Council of Canadians on the fact that, um, you know, election fraud was apparently confirmed. Uh, and it's really hard to verify, um, because it's only this one uh, at this point. I, and not to say that nothing happened, but I'm saying it's, it's, it's and I'm, I'm sure that something did happen. It, I think it's, I think it's indisputable that something happened. Uh, this wasn't just a coincidence. It was, it was, appears to have clearly been a deliberate act. By whom and how high that goes, I mean, is, is no way to confirm. But one of the top rated comments on that um, was the, the somebody saying, why isn't the, the Canadian National News talking about this? And well, of course, the person that, well, that's because corruption. Well, it very well may be, um, but we don't know. And it, and it sort of highlights, I think, one of the reasons why we do this show, but also one of the limitations of this show and our ability Uh, here to do things, which is that like it or not, we still have to get the vast majority of our information from corporate media, because even if we think it's highly valid, you need confirmation. You you should never under any circumstances on virtually any topic, uh, take only one person's 
point of view as evidence for anything, uh, unless it can be demonstrated through evidence. Um, and so it creates this really sticky situation, too, where, you know, we read that and, you know, I'm fairly dissatisfied with what this current government uh, has done with regards to the environment. So I'm sort of, I'm more primed to be willing to accept that, you know, they would be uh, less than honorable in other areas. Um, but I don't actually know that. And it and it puts me in a position of sort of, I, you know, I, I, I want to believe it because I feel dissatisfied with the actions uh, of the government. But at the same point, uh, if it turned out that this was not a, you know, in, independent piece of journalism, that, you know, puts me in a, in a position of having believed something that was not true and potentially being not taken less seriously in the future because something I espoused was proved to be not true. And it, and it just sort of really shines a light on that, why we need alternative media sources in the first place that are not just capable of providing punditry and, and analysis, which is what, you know, we try and do here and, and what we try and do on our, on our separate YouTube show, which is, you know, covers more directly headlines and stuff. Um, but the need to actually have the capability to go out and collect independent amounts of uh, information to have this be verified and validated by multiple sources without having to go through companies mm -hmm. that have a, a vested, you know, profit motive, you know, and, uh, and it, it is a bit of a conundrum, but I think the best step we can do right now is to support the independent media that we have best way to do that is to go to ciut.fm uh, we have never in the entire almost nine year running of the show ever been told what to say or when to say it and for that i uh, appreciate uh, both ken stower and the station itself but also the listeners who have become members signed up donated uh, to give us this space to be able to do that in the first place uh, the only thing we can do is continue continue to improve and we can only do that with uh, with people's help so that's my little appeal for this week. I will stop there, um, however, because um, we want to go to our interview a little bit early because I want to have more time to chat at the end of the show. So what we're actually going to do, let's go – Kevin, why don't we actually go early to our first music break? I'll give you a minute to get that ready because I know I just screwed up what I told you I was going to do. And then we'll come right back. So we're going to take a, a really, really quick break here. We'll just be a couple of minutes. I've given you a chance to have something to think about there. Maybe you're, maybe you're taking this moment to go to CIUT.FM. Check out the information there. Maybe you're going and checking out our YouTube channel because you're like, you know what? I don't want to wait. I want to listen to the interview now. Mm -hmm. Well, you can go to YouTube in the meantime and do that if you're at home. But if you're driving, I recommend not playing with your phone. So we're going to go ahead and take that music break. We'll be right back in just a couple of minutes to go ahead and listen to Nikki Fotheringham. Mistakes that you constantly make Repeating patterns of shame That threaten to break There's simply no escape From the painting that you seem to have stained Collapsed, arranged, collapsed, arranged Well, I do hope that you like what you've earned We're dropping out with nothing learned Take all you can, leave the rest to burn Fire has bound 
All right, we're back. You're listening to The Green Majority. We're going to go to our interview now with Nikki Fotheringham, who's the author and journalist behind the Green Moxie Green Living blog. Uh, we uh, actually had an opportunity to uh, meet up with her. She's been on the air before, but uh, uh, she came down and did an interview uh, with us uh, about uh, two weeks ago. Um, she has some stuff coming out and also has an extremely popular blog that could only be made more popular by going and checking it out. Uh, but without further ado, let's hear from her first. So this is Nikki Fotheringham, Green Moxie blog. Yeah, I've been a journalist my whole life, but um, and I was lucky enough to grow up in South Africa. So for the first part of my career, um, I covered things like you know Nelson Mandela being released from prison in the first um, democratic election in South Africa, and it was a really, really exciting and thrilling time. But then when life got back to sort of semi-normalness, um, I really started to rethink what I wanted to do and. I started focusing on what it was that I thought was the most important thing to cover in the news. And at that time, specifically in Africa, environmental issues weren't getting a lot of press. So for me, it is the most fundamentally important thing that we do, especially the, uh, my generation of people. It is fundamentally important for us to restructure the way we do things if we are going to leave an earth worth living in. So is that where the moxie part comes in? Can you explain what green moxie actually means? Green moxie um, came about because one of the things, uh, specifically earlier on in the, in the sort of green living movement, it was just about doing without. You know, it was, it was sort of this sort of asceticism where you'd have uh, use less of everything, don't have all the things that you like most in life. And for me, I didn't want green living to be something that was boring or uh, made your life less enjoyable. Um, so when we took the, our approach to green living, we just wanted to be fun and have a little, you know, a little sass, <laughs> a little attitude, um, and fundamentally just change the way we live. Live life on your own terms rather than it being determined by industry or big oil or Monsanto or, you know. Now the economy and the government is run for the for the purpose of making money, we need to change that, and that's I think where the moxie comes in. One of the main aspects of the angle that you like to take about on your blog and in your writing is the DIY aspect. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd like to start before we maybe get even into some examples about that. Um, if you want to just even comment on people, particularly now that you're here in uh, North America, um, about people's sort of attitudes towards DIYing anything, just about people's willingness to get their hands dirty. I think that's a very good point, actually. So people are generally not given the skills that we once had. So because everything is made for us and done for us and processed for us, uh, what we find is that people don't have those just basic mechanical skills uh, or cooking skills or just the ability to do and make things themselves. And if you're going to be sustainable, you need those skills. And actually, everybody can do this stuff. We can all do this stuff. We just need to learn how. And if you do simple DIY things with each thing that you do, you learn a skill. And you, it's really empowering. You don't need to buy everything and you don't need to call in somebody to come in and do stuff for you. It's really empowering to be, uh, to be able to rely on yourself and to be able to do things yourself. 
So what are some of the uh, main topics that you like to discuss about on your blog? So um, on Green Moxie, we really like to give people, empower people to do things themselves. So for example, um, one of the biggest chemical places where chemicals are in our homes is in our bathrooms, let's say. Let's start with the bathroom. Um, and we can start with cosmetics where one of the things about cosmetics is they don't actually have to declare all of their ingredients because they have patents which protect you know, their secret formulas. And so consumers just don't really know what's in their makeup and it's really, really bad stuff. So we have recipes where you can make absolutely everything in your makeup bag, everything. You can make your own shampoo, your own deodorant, your own conditioner, your own air freshener. Whatever you would use in your bathroom, you can make yourself. Same goes for the kitchen. Cleaning products, it's really nice to be able to sort of spray something on there and then sit back and there's no wax on and wax off. It just cleans itself because the chemicals that are in those products just really corrode the dirt. And while that's quite convenient, um, you can actually make all of your own cleaning products and it works pretty well. You may need a little more elbow grease, but it's well worth it. And then you don't have that chemical residue on everything at home. So what about that aspect? I mean, I think, um, you know, a lot of people, I, I can hear people telling me, you know, that's, that's, you know, all well and nice, but I don't have time to do that. Um, talk about sort of just, I guess, including not just sort of the willingness to DIY, but the sort of, the sort of feeling that, well, you know, I don't, I don't have time to be green. I don't have time to make my own things. A lot of people are very busy. This stuff, one of the criteria of it being in Green Moxie is that if, if it takes more than half an hour, probably not going to put it in, you know. So, um, the, for example, the cleaning products, it's actually, you don't actually have to make your own stuff. You just use baking soda and lemon and vinegar and things like that instead of cleaning products. Beauty products you do have to make, but if you can spare sort of between 10 and 30 minutes, um, then it's not that much time. And you know what? It's not about doing everything green. You can't expect people to suddenly change everything about their lives. It's about doing one thing every month, just changing one simple thing. So it's half an hour a month, not half an hour every day or even every week that we're asking you to just try this one thing. And I promise you, you will love it so much. It saves you so much money. And your, your, your home is healthier, you are healthier, and it's fun. And before you know it, you will be living green and having fun. <laughs> Do you want to maybe just talk about some of the comments you've had about people's uh, maybe concern about, well, you know, whether or not, whether we mentioned the thing about it taking too much time or anything else about people, mm -hmm. well, is, is this going to work as well? Or, you know, do I have to worry? Do I, is this going to cause extra things? Just, just in general about some of people's reservations about maybe, you know, I'm interested, but, you know, I'm not entirely mm -hmm. sold yet. Well, I think one of the things that um, people think about green living or being environmentally friendly is that you have to have a if that you have to be a hippie and own a goat, you know, or you have to live outside of the city. Oh, I don't have time to do that, and those are misconceptions. Um, you don't need a lot of time, and you don't, uh, and you don't need money to be green. 
In fact, it'll save you time and save you money because you won't be going to the store as much um, and you won't be spending as much on, on finished products. Um, and you'll just be healthier. And all those chemicals in your home, they build up in your body and that causes a lot of problems in your life. Um, I think the most comments I get on the, on the side is actually from parents who start doing this stuff in their home and find that their kids are suddenly really interested. Whereas the kids would not be interested in them using, you know, air freshener or, or using uh, regular cleaning products to clean. When you put some baking soda on something and then add vinegar and this foam everywhere, you know, the kids really enjoy that. We also do a lot of things where we teach people how to regrow or grow their own vegetables and herbs. And I've had a lot of people write to me and say they really enjoy the experience of planting things with their young children and the excitement that kids have when they see things grow or when they can pick tomatoes or herbs from the garden and then eat that stuff. Um, it's a really great way to get kids to eat their vegetables is to let them grow them themselves. So I, it's for me, it's incredibly rewarding. I get a lot of positive feedback from people who have a lot, just they're really having fun. And they, when you do things um, DIY, they tend to be able to bring the kids in and have these really great family um, experiences. And one thing that we do in the book that, I wanna, that I've had the most positive response from is making toys, so DIY toys. Because the kids get to design their own toys, and then you make them as a family, and then they get to play with them. So it's, it's great activities, you're being sustainable, and it's really fun. So fun, as you've mentioned there several times, is, yeah. is a really big important of, uh, part of this whole conversation. Um, do you, in what way do you think that that's sort of a, a critical component? Uh, you know, as someone, someone who's sort of deep green, for instance, might say, well, you're, you're, you're bribing people to be environmental, they should want to. Uh, I don't necessarily adhere to that, but would you comment on that sort of that idea of it's almost mm -hmm. cheating to, to say, well, it's, and it's fun. Yeah. Well, I understand that um, saying that it's fun is a way of convincing people to try it, but I don't think that that's a bad thing. Whatever works, whatever works, whatever gets people to just try it one time, um, because I'm, I know that if they just try these things, they're going to love them, and they're going to. It's going to become part of their lives. But whatever works. We all have to be greener. We all have to live more sustainably. And if fun is the way to get there, I'm okay with that. <laughs> so you mentioned your uh, book there momentarily in the, in, uh, the mm -hmm. previous uh, answer. Do you want to talk a little bit more about what that is and, and how that differs from from what you're doing already on the blog? Mm -hmm. Okay. So our blog has been around for four years, and in that time, we've just been absolutely blown away with their response. I can't tell you how amazing it's been, and I really enjoy this process of doing things online because it's a conversation. People uh, suggest things all the time, ask questions. When you make a recipe or a DIY, we don't just do recipes, we also do like furniture, toys, all things for the home. Um, when you do these things, people come back with improvements and variations that they've changed and I really love that it's it's a growing thing and uh, one of the things that 
overwhelmingly people asked for was a book. A book so that they could take it out to the workshop or the garden or the kitchen and use it there, um, a book that they, their kids could use. Um, but we didn't just want to put in the book things that we could we already had on blog because the blog is a free resource which we share uh, lovingly um, so we've decided to create this book called the Green Moxie's Field Guide to Green Living because we really did want you to be able to use it and take it out uh, into the yard or in the kitchen and there are over 80 DIYs everything from making a couch to um, growing vegetables uh, we go through each room in the house and there are DIYs in each room. And we've also tried to make things that uh, everybody in the family could do, from the kids to grandpa, um, so that it has a wider appeal for the family. Green living and other things with sort of the word green or environment in it has uh, suffered greatly from uh, a little bit of a um, non-voluntary clique syndrome, essentially that, that some people will... Some people will um, almost view it as, oh, that's you know green. That's not for me. Th- thinking that that you know environmentalists or green people are you know some sort of exclusive group, and if you're not sort of as as green as I am, then you're not sort of cool enough to hang out with us and that sort of thing. Will, will you just sort of maybe comment on that idea of environmental stigma and and, and how what you're trying to do is specifically intending to sort of break through that? Hmm. I think there is a certain level of. In, you know, environmental snobbery that goes along with living a greener life um, and it's like all things where it doesn't matter what you do how little you do or how much you do every little bit that you do is a fantastic contribution yeah, and, it, and we have to get out of this idea that you either have to be all green or not at all or that you have to spend a lot of money to be green uh, I know that organic food is expensive, for example, and so I think sometimes green living may have um, that slight um, cliched idea that you either have to be rich or you have to be a hippie. You know, it's two extremes. And I think we have to separate uh, sustainability and green living from being attached to a certain group of people. Everybody has to be sustainable. And there are lots of advantages to, be sustain- to being sustainable. Um, aside from the fact that you're, you're actually really helping to sustain our environment and the animals and people who live in it, you're creating a healthy envi- healthier environment for yourself. You personally will be healthier, but you also save a lot of money. And it's just a, a, a more ethical and a better way of living. And that should be available to everybody. And you don't need to have special skills. You don't need a lot of money. You don't need to only be green and and live an, an entirely green life. Um, you can you can just do a few things. Whatever you do, every little bit that you do makes a difference. In Africa, we've got this saying that if you think that one person cannot make a difference, you've clearly never spent a night with a mosquito. <laughs> Everybody can make a difference. You can make a difference, uh, you know, in the world. You can make a difference in your community. You can make a difference in your school. You can make a difference in your own backyard. 
So I know that um, this is not the sort of focus of what you do in your, in your writing uh, on the blog, but I'm interested in, in just maybe perhaps your, your personal opinion um, about where, you know, there's a lot of good sort of suggestions and the things that you talk about on your blog about how to, you know, green your personal life uh, and in your own environment uh, within the direct sort of like is in my yard and my kids and my family and my house. Um, is there an opportunity or, or where might there be to sort of scale this up where some of these concepts start being able to be applied to things like public policy and regulations and, and actually planning things this way rather than people trying to sort of do it on their own, that this might be, these, these sorts of mindsets might be able to be sort of more uh, systematically embedded in sort of how our society functions. Absolutely. So while Green Moxie and the Green Moxie's Field Guide to Green Living focuses on the individual and what you can do in your home and your and with your family. What we're hoping here, and certainly we do this on the blog as well, is that being aware of sustainability and and ways in which you can make that happen in your own life will make you think about these issues more globally in your community, your country, and the world. And we certainly on the blog especially really, really support um, endeavors where people work with other people. So if you're going to be making a face screen today, maybe you'll make a whole batch and you'll share it with your family and friends. And then they'll start doing the same with you. If you have a vegetable garden, you will have more than you can eat. You can share that and, and maybe you'll want to encourage community gardens and you want to encourage co-ops and so on. So this is a small start in your home, but it inevitably leads to a more communal share, a, a, a community of sharing, and eventually a more sustainable country and a more sustainable environment. The other thing we do on the blog a lot is we inform people. We tell them exactly what decisions the, the government is making, how those decisions impact the environment, and what they can do about it. I know it's kind of depressing to always hear how terrible the environment is, how bad uh, global warming is, how the ice caps are melting so much faster every time they do a study. Um, and, and it is sort of depressing and perhaps people get a little tired of hearing about that. So we focus on what can you do about it? And we say things like, this is what you can do. Here's who you need to contact. Write a letter. Here's a march. Um, you know, here's a petition that you can sign. And actual concrete um, actionable tasks that people can do. We also focus sometimes politically uh, when there are elections and we outline the environmental aspects of each party or each candidate so that when you're voting you are also aware of what your candidate and your party of choice uh, is doing for the environment or not doing for the environment as the case may be. So with that, you mentioned um, public actions and stuff like that, and we're, we're veering a little bit away from sort of what the majority of what you do talk about on your mm -hmm. show, but just because, uh, just before we started the interview, we were just chatting a bit about yeah. um, how I think it's very uh, we had finished just being in, uh, in New York for the what is easily now the largest climate action in, in history. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to, uh, maybe to get your thoughts on sort of that, we had about, what, uh, numbers are fluctuating between three and 400,000 um, people attending um, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's incredible. I think that um, until, you know, the government is supposed to represent the will of the people. Unless the will of the people is exceedingly obvious, <laughs> um, 
you're not going to change the government until you change the government. Uh, until you change the people in, in, in office and make sure that you elect people for whom environmental issues are key and, and run their platforms on key environmental issues. Until we do that, until we change those policies, um, we're not going to reach our sustainability goals. We're not going to make a real impact on environmental change unless we change the government structure and the, uh, fundamentally the way we do things. So I, I feel like um, protests and public action and contacting your local representatives and writing letters and signing petitions, these things make your will uh, clear to your government. And you know that they will start. They need to be re-elected. Of course they're going to start adopting the policies that you, if you demand them. All right, we got. Uh, I managed to get Nikki a little bit off uh, script there, a little bit at the end, which is you know some kind of my calling card. I try and do that a little bit, <laughs> get people off their talking points. Uh, no, that was great, and uh, and the Green Moxie blog is uh, is really fun. When I first went and checked out the website, it was like, oh, this is like sort of like how. You know, how could this be full of so much information? It looks like they're having fun all the time. Like she's got all sorts of fun graphics and she's a, you know, a good writer and, and adds, uh, you know, all sorts of uh, inspiring things in there. And it looks sort of really accessible and it's sort of, but at the same point, it's also full of, uh, you know, lots of actual tangible things that people can do that are practical and fun, as she was saying. And, uh, and I encourage people to check it out for sure. Uh, if you want to hear more of her being a little bit off script, though, and getting more into some of her personal opinions about politics and that sort of stuff, that will be in the long cut. There's about another eight minutes to that interview. Uh, and and it's all more about sort of her uh, take on, uh, you know, as a journalist coming uh, from a different country and her sort of perspectives on, on the media and, and politics and stuff from, from her perspective as well. So to do that, it won't be up today, probably, maybe... Maybe maybe by the end of the weekend, but if you if you go just go to today's show post, I will make a link to the video on the show post for today once it gets up. So I, w I will update that post. So if you go and check it today and it's not there yet, just check back in a couple of days by Monday for sure, and and that uh, the video and the link to the extended uh, interview will be up there uh, as well. Without further ado, though, I'm going to go to our second and final music break. You're listening to the Green Majority here at CIUT 89.5 FM. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Can't trust no shadow 
Like a bird in the tree The prisoners must be free, yeah Never make a politician stretch thanks for that really chilled out music this week kevin i'm i'm feeling super relaxed i want to go have a beer on a cool patio cool canadian patio uh or a beverage of your choice if you're not over 19 uh final note that of course uh just the final reminder that the full membership drive to support canadian programming like this volunteer i might add every week we've been on this show since 2006 well i haven't been kevin has i joined 2007 going strong if you want that to continue then you can uh, either go to ciut.fm right now and do an advanced pledge for our membership drive or you can just wait till next week or i think it's next week it is next week it is next week wow next week when we have our our uh, our show for the fundraising show without further ado though i will not withhold any more time from you between you and the dr sustainable our own kevin farmer take it away Hi, everyone. Uh, oh, it looks like my microphone's already at the right level. Um, uh, yeah, so, Darren, you talked about the corporate media, and uh, I'm going to do a little of the same. If you've uh, been consuming the news cycle this week, and, you know, that's that's what we do. We're consumers. Um, <laughs> then you, need, you, know, you, you, you're, you know that you need to be afraid. You need to be very afraid. You need to be afraid of Ebola and terrorism. Of course, if you're listening to the news cycle, you always need to be afraid of something. Just never, ever, ever the climate crisis or the ecocide, the ongoing ecocide, uh, because no, that's that's alarmism. Uh, everything else is just uh, it's just uh, you know, just I don't know, reasonable. Um, so uh, on that note, so a week ago Wednesday, there was a report by NBC uh, that uh, uh, Canadian security officials were worried about terrorist threats taking place in Canada, and they referred to it as knives and gun attacks in malls and embassies. Uh, now, that was, okay, that was a week ago Wednesday. Two hours later, this report was, was either down or retracted. They've been walking it back since. But that didn't stop the next day. Um, that didn't stop conservative MPs the very next day using this report to hype the threat of terrorism and call for an expansion of powers for CSIS 
the, uh, the, the Canadian security establishment. Um, uh, so, so uh, and I don't, don't uh, we don't have enough time to go into what powers were being called for here. Suffice it to say, it's just a, a, a an expansion of the existing powers of CSIS. And many editorials are saying the case has not been has not been made for this for this particular expansion. And it's it's worth uh, knowing about. But um, uh, let me see. Sorry, my notes are a little everywhere today. So, uh, what's interesting about this though is that uh, you know two hours later, um, our our public safety committee chairman Daryl Cramp seemed to be unaware that this NBC report had been retracted. And our public safety uh, minister, Stephen Blaney, also seemed to be unaware of this. So either, either they were unaware, which I think raises its own questions, given that these are in charge of, these people are, are administering our public safety, um, or they're hyping it. They're hyping it for, for, for a political advantage. Um, so, and, and, you know, I, obviously I'm not being briefed on threats to Canadian security. But I do read a lot, and I pay attention to the current affairs shows. And I've heard analyst after analyst say that Canada is not really any elevated threat for terrorist attack, other than what, might you, what you might refer to as kind of the, the background threat that just exists in the world. Um, and so, so we have to, you know, what's, what's the case that's being made for this, this elevated, <coughs> excuse me, this elevated threat? I mean, the, the people hyping this threat are the conservatives and, and ISIL, ISIL itself. And both ISIL and the conservatives seem to have something to gain from from hyping these threats. So, <coughs> excuse me, sorry about this. So, you know, let's even just take this this particular threat seriously: knives and gun attacks in in malls. Okay, let's let's imagine that happening. I'm not trying to diminish the threat of terrorism in, in any way, shape, or form. But let's just take that particular threat seriously, given that it is the context for an expansion of of the powers of this of of Canadian security apparatus. Uh, let's imagine it were happening every single day and a Canadian were being hurt or killed every single day. Imagine the lather the, the media would be in if this were happening and people were you know, claiming this were, this were being done in, in, in the pursuit of terrorism uh, sponsored by ISIL. Um, and imagine the lather the, the political circles would be in. Imagine the lather the public would be in you know, the, if this, this were happening. And if this were happening every single day, your chances of actually being hurt or killed in such an attack would still be half as good as winning Lotto 649. So not to diminish this, but to, to put that particular threat in context, you would still be 700 times more likely to be killed by a, a lightning strike than, than to be hurt in, in, in one of these attacks, even if it were happening you know, every every single day. So, uh, um, so now here's a, here's another thread of terrorism that came out recently, one that was not retracted two hours later uh, by an equally credible source. Uh, and this uh, it was a statement from the um, Defense Department uh, releasing a report that uh, and in this is a quote from the report that says global warming poses immediate risks to U.S. national security. And it will exacerbate, this isn't a quote anymore, but it will exacerbate uh, security-related threats ranging from infectious diseases to terrorism. And infectious, diseases to ter- infectious disease to terrorism is a quote. So now the Pentagon is talking about an increased threat of terrorism. And, uh, you know, I don't hear, I, I don't hear, um, uh, so, so if, if we're taking threats of ser- terrorism so seriously, uh, where's the call from the Canadian government to greatly expand the the powers of the state regulatory powers for 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 regulating emissions? You know, if we're, if if the threat of terrorism is 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 a is a call to expand the powers of the state, why aren't we expanding our regulatory powers to curb emissions? 
uh, for just on a on a side note here, because I talk about climate change all the time, uh, the risks of cancer in Canada are, are better than one in three if you're a woman, and almost one in two if you're a man. So 200 people die every single day from cancer in Canada. Where's the call for the massive in- increase of state powers for regulating toxic chemicals and persistent pollutants? It, again, not to diminish terrorism, but to just start, sort of put that particular threat in the context of today's dialogue, both in, in politics and with regards to our, our state of awareness about the environment. Um, and, you know, while I'm talking endlessly about climate change, um, uh, sorry, my notes really are everywhere today. So the uh, NASA released a, a report saying that this September is not only the hottest September on record, uh, this year is, is trending to be the hottest year on record as well. In fact, when they, when they released their um, uh, a graphic for this to show the anomalous warming patterns on Earth, they had to, for the second month in a row, they had to trot out a new color because like, these are color-coded maps that go, you know, increasingly darker reds show the highest anomalous warming on the planet. And the anomalous warming in Antarctica is so high that they just didn't have a color for that range anymore, the 7 to 15 degrees Fahrenheit range. So, so they're using brown now um, to indicate that. And this, what's also interesting about this September is that El Nino is delayed uh, for whatever reason. And El Nino usually contributes to warming. Uh, and so if we're seeing the hottest September on record and the hottest, in, in the hottest year on record, Without the contribution from El Nino, it just sort of reveals the signal from human warming all that much clearer. Like if El Nino were underway at the moment right now, people would be saying, okay, it's the hottest September on record, but there's an El Nino in there contributing to this, and we don't know how much El Nino is contributing. Fine, but there's no contribution from El Nino right now. So, uh, And again, so anyone who, who might be laboring under the misapprehension that there's been this pause in global warming for the last 15 years, or some people even say cooling. Conservative MPs chanted global cooling one day in, in question period to heckle a question from, I think it was liberal MP John McKay. Uh, anyone laboring under that misapprehension, this is just nonsense. At best, there was a, a slowing of the rate of increase in heating. It's always been trending up. It has always been trending up. Um, the rate decreased. NASA satellites confirm that the planet simply absorbs more energy than it radiates. We just don't always know where it is. Uh, we, don't, we don't have sensors everywhere on Earth. And recently, people have been finding out, just as we did 10 or 12 years ago when there was also some sort of um, uh, kerfuffle about missing heat from the climate change models, we're finding it in the oceans where most 90-some percent of all heating is going. Um, and what's, what, what might be very, very interesting about this sort of 15-year sl- slowdown in surface temperatures, uh, the process that, is, that might be sequestering the, that might be sequestering a little more heat than usual in the Atlantic over the last 15 years might just be a very short cyclic phenomenon, meaning that in another few years, that briefly sequestered heat will just come back. And, and this pause, we will, we've just buffered that heat for maybe 15 or 20 years, and, and we, can, we can expect it um, to come roaring back and just sort of amplify the, uh, the, signal, the, the signal that we're already getting. Uh, and on a, in another note, uh, another, in another interesting sort of expansion of the powers of a government, um, be in, in British Columbia, Christy Clark's government uh, – is making a proposal to change what they call the Societies Act. And I gather in, in British Columbia, Columbia um, the Societies Act governs what we, we in Ontario would call um, 
registered charities or NGOs. These are these are the nonprofit organizations in, in British Columbia, and um, they've got a section ninety nine in here uh, that states in in real real sort of page turning language. Um, it, this is part of the proposal they're 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 hoping to make to this act. A person whom the court considers to be an appropriate person to make an application under this section may apply to the court for an order under this section on the grounds that a society, now this would be an NGO or a charity, and this is the quote, is carrying on activities that are detrimental to the public interest. So now one, uh, uh, a community activist and former Crown Prosecutor, Sandy uh, Garasino, and I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, I think I think that's what we do on this show, we mispronounce last names. You um, bet. So, yeah. That's our trademark, Kevin. Yeah, and I'm proud to be part of a a strong tradition. (laughs) She wrote in a blog post, uh, she characterized this by saying, in other words, environmental nonprofit groups better watch their step because they're in the crosshairs. Premier Clark is handing the legal hammer to Enbridge, Kinder Morgan, ExxonMobil, Coke, and Canna, Chevron, uh, Sinopec, Suncor, and the entire BC liquid liquid natural gas sector to tie nonprofits up in court uh, for years. Uh, now that's her characterization of this. I don't. I don't for a moment doubt that's true. Uh, Christy Clark's government has been very, very friendly to the fossil fuel industry and to the mining interests. Um, what, what strikes me about this, though, is while I don't doubt that that's true for a minute, or I wouldn't put this past anyone, um, it, what I do find very interesting is the, the definition of the public interest, because you know, breathable air, drinkable water, uh, sustainable use of resources. Uh, a stable climate, which might be vital to functioning civilizations, you know, these are not in the national interest. <laughs> and and you know, if you're if you're advocating for any of these things at all, you're a radical. You've got a radical agenda. Um, and uh, and since I've got a lot of time, I'm gonna I'm gonna comment on that. You know, while we're you know while we're we're hyping the threat of terrorism, and I'm not trying to diminish it seriously. I'm not. It, it's real, but. But we need to keep this in perspective, I think. And in particular, if it's being used as political cover to expand the powers of the state it, under a government that's co-opting, you know, our, our, our public institutions to further its own agenda. Um, it, here's something I pulled from a, a Toronto Star article where, you know, government documents reveal that uh, their own documents reveal that they've been keeping tabs on hundreds of protests and demonstrations in Canada and around the world over the last few years. And in particular, and we all know this by now, um, there's, they're, they're keeping tabs on environmental and First Nations groups. I don't know more in particular. Uh, uh, here's a list of some things that the government has been keeping tabs on. A panel discussion at Concordia University discussing historical colonialism and race relations in Quebec. Um, a rally in Ottawa by the Public Service Alliance of Canada and the Canadian Union of Public Employees. Protests against a Canadian mining company in Brazil. Uh, a Montreal march and vigil for missing and murdered Aboriginal women, a panel discussion in Toronto on the oil sands in in August, that one, Uh, a workshop in nonviolent protest methods. Um, There's others. I mean, this is the kind of stuff we're we're devoting. I mean, this is... And the raging grannies. Let's not forget the raging grannies. We're surveilling the raging grannies because of their entirely seditious practice of singing protest songs about bees and other things that are part of the radical environmental movement. Um... So you know, look. If we we need to, this, if if we're going to expand the powers of the state, I think we need to be very very cautious about the fact that this government is is abusing its power and and in particular the the security apparatus to to further 
it, its own ide- ideological agenda. And we're all aware that the CRA is mysteriously targeting left-leaning uh, NGOs. Um, a, a bird-watching society in Kitchener-Waterloo just got a letter recently uh, to see, kind of a cease and desist about political activities. This is a, a bird-watching society that has annual revenues of $16,000. I, I think my parents might be in that in that club, actually. They're, they're pretty big bird watchers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, that too... Uh, I don't even want to get it. There's, this, there's speculation that what invited this attention, this is pure speculation, but it has been making its rounds in the news cycle. Uh, they wrote a letter to Leona Glukak, our, who ostensibly is our environment minister, complaining about um, uh, uh, chemicals in the environment that are harmful to, to birds. And, uh, you know, they got a letter from her back from her uh, right around the same time they got a letter from CRA warning them about, you know, their, their political activism. And you know they anyway. It's it's just it's just interesting to note that um, you know it does it it, it it there doesn't seem to be much of a fig leaf on this anymore. <laughs> that uh, uh, and you know we need look we our public institutions will not function if the public cannot have faith in them. And this is entirely corrosive to society to to demonize the peaceful practice. Of your of your right to get, uh, free assembly, your right to engage in political speech, uh, your 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 right to be a peaceful activist in the political process, uh, you know, and the Harper government is corroding our faith in our public institutions. There is the spat with the Supreme Court. There is the apparent co-opting of the Canadian Revenue Association to to trot out audits on on NGOs that are not politically aligned with their ideology. There is there is the obvious surveillance by the RCMP and CSIS on environmental activism and First Nations activism. And, and, and you, know, if you, we, you know, if you look at policing, policing cannot take place uh, without public uh, support, without public participation and cooperation. You know, police always need to appeal to the public for help in cases. And if you start, you know, this is just an example of how if you corrode the, the, the faith people have in their public institutions, they just can't function. And this is just one of the. This is going to be a legacy from Stephen Harper. Is that he's undermining our faith in these in these institutions, and and you know. So I you know say this this call to to expand the powers of the state, based on this you know knife knife and gun attack threat that was 20, had been retracted twenty four hours ago. I, I just think speaks more to an, an ideology than an actual uh, threat of terrorism. Yeah, well, it just—it's. I'm. Um, thank you for for bringing us full circle right back to where you started, Kevin, because that that was the place in which I wanted to pick up from what you were saying, actually. Anyway, which was uh, when you're talking about that sort of threat uh, threat assessment level and the idea of you know you know terrorism is a serious threat, but let let's look at like if we were going to. You know, if you're going to deal with a situation rationally, and you have a number of things on your plate, you say, okay, well, what's the what's the thing that's of the most immediate concern, and then you you order it from there. It's everybody who's ever woken up and had a day of things they needed to do has gone through this process, and and so when you're comparing threats, um, as as you were correctly pointing out, you know, there's well, yes, there these things. Are, I'm not saying this thing is not a threat. I'm just saying that objectively and demonstrably, these things are a bigger threat. So if we haven't successfully dealt with those yet, why are we why are we spending vast amounts of money on this thing, which is is 
more expensive to deal with and has less result. There's, there's a lower cost benefit uh, to investing resources in dealing with that problem. And, and of course, as, as uh, anyone that's ever listened to the show has picked up, there's two things you know about me. One of them is that I love Carl Sagan. The other one's that I play video games. And so what I was thinking about when you were talking about that was that uh, was the game SimCity. I'm sure even you are familiar with uh, SimCity, Kevin. I am. So, I, I, one of my nieces was quite addicted to it. <laughs> right. So in, in SimCity, there, there's you know, a number of things you can do. You build up your city. You manage your resources. And then you know if you get bored with your city, you can start turning on disaster mode, and then things will happen. Um, but whether or not you turn on that mode, there's you know, things that will get to a certain amount of people, and people start complaining, well, I need more roads, or you know, we don't have clean air. And, and what I find really interesting about thinking about sort of organiza- organizing society in that is in that game formula, for the sake of simplifying it for it to have a, a game structure that functions, they've essentially equated all problems, right? So there's not too much of a difference between people being upset because they don't have enough roads to people being upset about political dissent because they don't like your decisions to the reaction that they have to Godzilla, for instance, stomping through your downtown and, and you know, sleeping in your, on your mall. What I think is really constructive about that is it equates it to people are unhappy, we have an impact on society, and what are you going to do about it? And so in, in that game, it's, it's really interesting because I think for, the sake of, for a decision that was made just for the sake of it being an easier game mechanic to manage, they've actually created a much better way of looking at problems, which is you have these problems, they will cost this much to solve, and here are the impacts. What are you going to do about it? And if you make the wrong decision to be like, well, I'm going to fix potholes while Godzilla is stomping through my downtown, you lose. Yeah, and you know, with, <laughs> with, with the climate crisis, um, you know, it's interesting to note that the Pentagon is coming out uh, you know, with the quadrennial defense assessment, um, uh, there's been a few reports this year from from really high-ranking uh, military officials. Uh, the Navy, in particular, um, I, I, I shouldn't try to to conjure up the details because I didn't prepare to, and my memory is based. Um, but there's been several reports this year. From one report was was touted uh, as being authored by by you know senior uh, uh, military officials with 580 cumulative years of military experience, and they're all talking about the threat to national security from from climate change. Uh, now, you know, and again, you know, so, in, to, you know, again, our, the Conservative Party here in Canada, but cer- and certainly the Republican Party in the States, they're always hyping things like terrorism and threats to national security. And, and it's in, you know, again, that, you know, we, we, as we trot out that term national security, and we keep defining the oil interests and being, you know, in our national interests, and therefore, um, advocacy for renewable energy and environmental sustainability, you know that's not in our national interest. You know, we're, you know, we, we lose we lose a sensible definition of that term. But, but you know, in in Canada and the U.S., the conservatives are always you know uh, hawkish on terrorism. Uh, you know, self self touted as being strong on threats to, to national security. But meanwhile, the Pentagon is saying we have a threat to national security here and a real urgent threat to national security. And I think it was in July the Republican controlled House passed an amendment um, where t- that, that, that uh, prevented the Pentagon from uh, using any of the information from the National Climate Assessment, from the, uh, the fifth assessment report from the Intergovernmental Panel on uh, Climate Change, and something, oh, something else. Oh, they're also prevented from using uh, any information from the UN regarding the Agenda 21 conspiracy theory about, about uh, that people think is a, a it, anyway, I don't, I shouldn't even go into that. Google Agenda 21 if you want to laugh your head off. But anyway, what they did was they passed an amendment specifically forbidding the, the uh, Pentagon from considering climate issues in preparing its, its threat analysis. 
so you know so so there's their reaction to a threat and meanwhile the pentagon seems to be doing it anyway which i think says something all right, last comment we have right up against the end of the show. I just wanted to maybe say that, uh, you know, maybe uh, if, if we're going to make our video game analogy today, maybe, you know, uh, the federal government should stop playing Call of Duty, perhaps, which it seems to be how they're, they're, they're governing policy, <laughs> and maybe try SimCity. You might have a more uh, objective uh, reality of threat assessment and not shoot anything that moves. That's all the time we have for in this week's edition of The Green Majority. Check out greenmajority.ca for more great content. All the stuff we're doing, we do way much more than we just do on the radio show. Greenmajority.ca is a great place to look for it. Other than that, look forward for our fall membership drive show next week and that's it you've had a good green week folks we'll see everybody real soon 